0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Well, tonight I'm going to talk about the Tabernacle of David or David's Tent. People have different names for whatever you want to call it. But I want to tell you why. As I've been prepping for coming here and just praying into it, there was a season that I would wake up every morning just with the glory of the Lord on me, and He said, build a tabernacle within yourself. Make yourself be the dwelling place. Get your churches to be a dwelling place for me. And I was like, God, okay, show me more, teach me more. And I was just so undone. I knew he was trying to speak to me and teach me, really. And I've had a lot of great teachers. you probably heard Mike Bickle speak on it and Corey Russell and Michael Miller and Sean Foyt and all these people who really steward house of prayer movements. And so um, I'm just drawing from really their wisdom of the word over all these years and just learning what it means to create that tabernacle for God and what David's tabernacle was so different than Moses and everything else. And it's still moving today within us, the presence of God. And so today we're gonna go to Acts 15, we'll be in Chronicles and just kind of mainly in Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 15 because I'll land there the longest. (laughs) Let's just pray over the word tonight and that God just speaks to each one of our hearts. Heavenly Father, I just believe this is the word that you have for us tonight. And your word speaks so firely to our hearts that we are never the same. It awakens in us things. You draw us in through the word of God and your presence comes through the word. I pray over each one of our hearts that we just have this incredible tenderness to learn from you tonight, Holy Spirit that you speak to each one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is, I was telling Pastor Drew that this is way more a teach than a preach. So um, we're gonna go through a lot of scriptures, but also this whole concept of David's tabernacle. And so here we go. <laughs> you know, many people study studied David, right? For years, it's been like, when you, if you grew up in the church, if you're as old as me, you had felt boards where they gave you David's stories, right? (laughs) So, and if you're cool and younger and had Pastor Danny, it was probably like a drama show or something like that. But, um, you know, David was a man whose heart was after God. He said, a man after God's own heart, the word says. And in Revelation, you know, even for David's tabernacle was very different than that of Moses's. And, um, you know, many of us can say Moses' tabernacle, right? The outer court, the inner court, and then the holy of holies. How many people can say that, right? I was listening to one of the pastors, it might have been Michael Miller, and he said, why didn't we have felt boards of David's tent? I could always quote outer, inner, you know, and holy of holies, but we never talked about David's tent. We should have had felt boards on David's tent. And I was like, that's truth. You know, We should have learned more about this as kids. And um, so let's look at, in Revelation 22, there's this covenant God made with David that is eternal. In Revelation 22:16, it says, Jesus is the root of David, which means he was before David. He's the root, right? So he's the roots of what David, the grounding of whatever sprung up from David. Jesus is a source of David's life, but then Jesus also was a descendant of David. Whoa, huh? That's pretty, like some revelations, right? So this is who David was. And God made an eternal covenant with David that still, he came in the lineage of David, but Jesus is still fulfilling that today for us. And that's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna look at this in Psalm 132, four and five. Psalm 132 is amazing. I know. You know, I probably say, this is my favorite scripture every week to my church, and it's always a different scripture, right? And so basically, this is my favorite scripture, but Psalm 132 is so pivotal for David's life. And it says in verse four, I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. He's just crying out, he has this burning passion that God would have a dwelling place, that he's gonna find this place for him. And he vows to make a dwelling place for him. And in 2 Samuel seven, David received a covenant from the Lord and that it says in there that he would receive a house, descendants, a kingdom, influence, and authority, and that David would have a throne and a reign. And his leadership was essential to that that would be established forever. Some powerful stuff. I'm not going to go back to Samuel, but I'm just going to kind of lay this out. If you're a note taker, you can take notes. You'll like my sermon tonight if you're a note taker. It says in the word that Jesus sits on the throne of David. In the millennial, when he turns, you know, it says that he is sitting on David's throne. Can you imagine that? Like, this is stuff that in David's time is being spoken about that we didn't even have a grasp for. This protocol that David set was a protocol for what Jesus fulfilled, which is still coming today. And so um, it just kind of makes your mind go, you know, like, oh God, there's so much more in this. I just want you to know I'm just giving you a little taste, okay? <clears throat> anyway, what was da- David had a kingdom, but what did Jesus say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand when he came. And David was that prototype for Jesus. Um, So how David enthroned the Lord, he made a dwelling place for God. He made that the main thing, his main passion. When you look at the scriptures and you read the Psalms, it was his passion that God would have a dwelling place. And that main priority, his heart burned for this, that it would be established and that it wasn't a political agenda but it was his heart to see God's presence have a poem and a resting place. And that Tabernacle of David, the dwelling place of the Lord, is the center of what we do today, right? That dwelling place. You know, if we make a dwelling place for him, I'm gonna lay this out in scripture tonight, but our lives will change, politics will change, nations will change, if we choose to make a dwelling place for him. And the reason why I'm saying this tonight is I really believe this church has done that. You have a dwelling place for the Lord, not only in your individual hearts, but in this house. When you corporately come together, you're after him. The songs you sing are just, we want Jesus. And so I say this tonight and I'm laying out these scriptures to say, I wanna affirm what you're going after and don't stop, okay? Acts 15, let's go there. This is the first church um, conference. So we're gonna read about the first church conference. How do you like that? They're already starting conferences by Acts 15. And they have this confusion about the Jews and the Gentiles, and should the Gentiles be circumcised? And they're trying to figure out, and they're gonna try to add to the gospel in this. And so they need to add, they're gathering the leaders and the elders, and they're having this conference to try to figure out the situation, like what is right. But I want you to know this all goes back to David's tent. So certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they, t- they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and require to keep the law of Moses. And so all of a sudden, you know, we have the Pharisees crying out, you know, just saying this is the way it is, this is the way it needs to be. They're trying to add to the gospel of what Jesus had done. But let's look at verses six and seven. The apostles and elders met to consider the question after much discussion. Can you imagine, you know how the Bible like, just says that one little line. They were debating. This was like a hot debate. This wasn't like just a little discussion, right? They're trying to figure this out and they're working out and they're fighting over and probably like passionately saying their side of the argument, right? So after a little discussion, much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So he's the first, he stands up and he passionately says how he feels about this topic, right? So Peter stands up and then in verses 10 and 11, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace that our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as they are. So Peter's passionate side of this was, by grace you've been saved. He was like, it is not from the law, it's by his grace, right? And he's making this proclamation of the gospel and saying, this is the way it is. So then next, Paul and Barnabas pipe in. And let's look at verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So they were making this proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration of it. So we had this proclamation of his grace and his mercy, and then Paul and Barnabas are all about this demonstration of the signs and wonders, right? So then James pipes in, he's the brother of Jesus, and he goes to the Davidic order of the Old Testament. I'm sure they all had to go, hmm, because He's drawing out something that is so important for us to grasp tonight out of the Old Testament. And there are dozens of scriptures saying this, but he chose the one out of Amos 9.11. So let's look at um, what he says. Starting at verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. He's quoting Amos 9.11, which says, on that day I will rise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will rise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the old days." Powerful, huh? So what is he saying there, right? Why? so that the Jews and Gentiles both may seek the Lord. Now, I want you to know in the New Testament church, that was like, here we are, you know, we're allowing these crazy Gentiles in, right? And are we gonna muddy the waters? But they also knew the Davidic um, order of things. They knew his covenant. And so they knew some pieces that I wanna share and look at tonight in Chronicles. And so, about his dwelling place. In 1 Chronicles 13, three, it says, let's bring the ark of God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. So that's David talking, like, I wanna get this ark back, right? And the ark had been stored for 20 years, some scholars think 100 years, in a barn. Can you imagine the most holy of holies? They didn't know what to do with it anymore. So they stick it in a barn. Whoa, okay. So the spiritual state of Israel was, um, they had a form of God with no power. Mm -hmm. The religious activity, but no relationship with him. Think about that and think about our world. That speaks to me of what's happening a lot in today's world. So David though, he has this passion, he's gonna bring it back. Are you all tracking with me? I'm going fast, okay. David builds a new cart. He's like, okay, I'm gonna build a nice new cart. We're gonna bring this to, you know, it's resting place, let's do this, you know. And so he builds a cart, right? And many of you know this story. It's a, I think it's about a three mile. I was gonna look this up again. I think it's a three mile journey, but I can't remember for sure. So don't quote me on that. Ask Mike Bickle. <laughs> First Chronicles 13.10 says Uzziah died because the ark started to fall and his hand touched the ark and then he died. So let's think about this. You probably don't need the latest and greatest. I think David's heart was doing the right thing in the wrong way. Because there had been this word and this covenant of how to carry the ark of old, yet David tried to change it and make it better what he thought was better. But it went away from what God's will was. And sometimes we need to go back to that first love. You just need to go back to those first things, the 10 commandments, you know, his... Love God and love others. Sometimes we just need to go back to the word and say, what do you really say about this? Am I trying to make this a better thing than what it says in the word? So 1 Chronicles 13, 12 says, how can I bring the ark of God back to me? What can I do? David is just in this anguish. He desires, he knows that it's so important to have the dwelling place of God in his kingdom. And this question was burning in him. We need to ask that of God. I want your presence, God. It's just burning in me. It needs to be kind of the central thing why we gather in church, right? We gather for him. They were praying that and declaring that in worship tonight. And I was like, thank you for prepping the sermon. But it's truly what your heart in this church is, is we gather for his presence, pursuing him, his presence, what he has in this house. I want to burn for that. What David does next is pretty profound. So in verse 13, he took it, the Ark. It says in there, he did not take the Ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, a Giddite. So does that mean he was a Jewish person? No, he's not even from their tribe. He was a Giddite. What does that mean in the New Testament? He was a Gentile. So they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant to a Gentile's house. Can you imagine? There was gossip in the city. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. What happens when the presence of God is the main thing and the main thing only? There's a blessing of God on it, on everything. David was so frustrated, he wanted it in his house. So in Chronicles 15, he built and prepared a place for God. He built the tent. And after David had constructed the building for, he, um, for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. Moses' tabernacle was still going on with the sacrifices and the ark of the covenant wasn't in there. And David's building a tent and saying, I commission you Levites to go after this. You are gonna day and night, this is what your calling is. And so David's getting ready to move the tent, and the Levites, the Levites, the priests, are gonna carry it, right? So in first Chronicles 15, 12, he says, consecrate yourself. He's telling the Levites this, which means when you look at the word consecrate, it means to dedicate yourself exclusively for a particular divine purpose. So he's telling them, all right, you guys, dedicate yourself for this one thing, your divine purpose by God, let's consecrate ourselves. That's what I want us all to do at the altar tonight is we have one divine purpose, it's Him. And that's what we're going after. And then the Levites carried the ark with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. So now the ark is being able to be carried because they're doing it the right way. Now, you know, David, I think his heart was right. Great intentions, let's build a cart, let's do this right. But God said, no, my ways are the highest. My ways are higher than yours, he says. So we are the people that are just given to him. We're gonna consecrate ourselves. So verse 22, He calls them out, the musicians, the Levites, and says, I want you to do this with excellence and training. It's super key and important because they're going to lead this 24-7 worship and they need to do it with excellence and with training. I'm sure they had to take lessons. They had to practice all of those things. You know, a lot of this doesn't happen overnight, does it? It just takes that consistency in our lives to go after what he's called us to do. And that little by little, we get to begin to see the bigger picture of what he's called us in. So they're moving the ark. I haven't forgotten where we are. <laughs> and every seventh step, they sacrifice a bull. So I, I wanna say it's three miles. I wish I would've looked it up. I forgot to. And then they would rest the ark, and they'd sacrifice a bull, and then they'd take seven more steps. What do you think was happening happening on that trail to the Zion, to the tent. Can you imagine like the river of blood that was going behind them? And you know, I want you to know it was a, remember this is like prophetic of what Jesus is gonna bring. Do you remember the road of Via Rosa? Do you remember the road of suffering that Jesus took? It's the same thing. So the burnt offerings and the peace offerings were the first things that they gave when they first came to the tent. So in verse 37, it says, David ministered, continue. It says, David left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister their regular according to each day's requirements. He also left obed and his 68 associates to minister with them. obed son of Jedutham, I'm probably saying these wrong, and also Hosea were gatekeepers. So, okay, I want you to think about this. What's just happening in that verse 37? Who's in the tent where the Ark of the Covenant is? In the presence of God, a Gentile. Are you catching what's happening here? And who brings us up in Acts 15? How do we do this? There's only one way, it's Jesus. And we all have to go there. Um, and so obed and his 68 associates, which means family members, ministered in that tent. They were ministering there. Um, Acts 15, you know, when he pulls that out, it's David's tent on the Mount of Zion. He's talking about this moment is what James is talking about. When that ark came across this threshold into the tent, it says in the word that the blood sacrifices that were made ended there. And when they entered in, what was the sacrifice? It was praise and thanksgiving. We bring a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Think of that, every time you come into this house, every time you're worshiping in your home, you're bringing the sacrifice of praise. You're asking him to come and dwell in your midst. You're saying, I wanna be a tabernacle. I want this place to be a tabernacle, a dwelling place for you, O God, oh mighty one, come and dwell in this place. They gave thanks to the Lord. This is a new covenant. It's no longer blood sacrifices, but a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. In Psalm 54.6, he writes, David, I am a sacrifice, a free-willing offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. I am a free-willing offering to you. Hebrews 13.15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. So David built this tent. Now, every worship leader, listen up. You're gonna like the next part. He builds this tent and he commissions and he calls them, the Levites, to go after this, right? And they're getting equipped, they're getting trained. And uh, the room in the tent where the ark is, they're surrounded by 4,000 musicians and 4,000 gatekeepers, 288 singers. That's what was going on in there. And it says, in 200, when you look at 288, this is Mike Bickle in his thinking. 288 divided by 12 means 24-7 worship. The Gentiles and Jews were worshiping 24-7 in the tent. No longer sacrificing animals, but worshiping. So if Mike Bickle has his numbers right, I'm, here's my disclaimer. David employed them and he paid them one talent. And to modern days, it's a million dollars. David paid him a million dollars to be full-time worshipers and gatekeepers. And when you add it all up, it was a total of a billion dollars in modern day money. That's how important and how passionate David was about it. He was gonna put even his money on the line, right? His kingdom's finance. And the tabernacle of David lasted 33 years. How long was Christ's ministry? 33 years. You know, it transferred that holy of holies from Moses into a tent where it was sacrificing worship and praise. And David built this living room for God, which is talked about, spoken about in Revelation, talk, I can't even talk, spoken about in Revelations four and five. And David's kingdom proposed as David's tent was set and running out of, um, there were seven revivals that were birthed out of this same Movement in the Old Testament where people would take up David's tent, you know, that whole revival aspect of Davidic worship. And it took place seven times. You can look them up Jehoshaphat, Jehoda, Hezekiah, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. They all took the scriptures according to David and went after that. And, you know, when Jesus came riding in on a donkey, Remember what he said? We're almost to that place in our church calendar. Everyone's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. And Jesus walks into the temple and he throws over the tables, right? And he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And they knew that. They knew the Davidic worship. They knew that they were in the wrong. And that the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies came into the temple. Jesus stepped in. So it was definitely a blueprint of what the New Testament would Jesus fulfilled. The spirit of David was caught in Psalm 132. That sacred place on the earth marked with his holiness, his presence. You know, it affected society. When you look at the scriptures of when the house was there and they were worshiping, praising the temple, everything was affected. All of society changed. Businesses changed. Society was blessed. There was a blessing on that house. And we don't do it for the blessing. We do it because He's called us to make a dwelling place for Him. He is coming back for that. He's coming back for that bride that is that dwelling place for Him. How am I doing on time? We're getting there. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. Jesus is resurrected and seating at, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, right? Ever interceding for us. And one day the Father's going to say, Okay, it's time. Hop on that white horse. <laughs> Come back for your bride. He's gonna come back in the Mount of Olives and the Eastern Gate, and he's gonna sit on that throne in the city of Jerusalem. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is gonna fill and cover the earth like waters cover the sea. Hmm. I want my life to be that resting place, and I know that's the heartbeat of this church. I know it's your desire. I just pray, Jesus, mark our lives. Let it be the desire of our heart for this one thing I ask of the Lord, Psalm 27. Only thing I ask from the Lord, this one and only thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. He wants to mark us. He wants us to go deeper than we've ever gone before. You know, He doesn't want us to be that church that has all the rituals with none of the presence He wants us to be the church that hosts his presence, that dwelling place. This is a holy move of God. This is one that is all-consuming. It's it's starting to hit the earth like wildfire. You know, I see churches awakening and the church as a whole awakening. Psalm 69.9 says, "'For the zeal of your house will consume me.'" I want that kind of zeal to consume me. We are the tabernacle, that very resting place of the Lord. I'm gonna ask Pastor Drew to come up because I know it's that moment. Okay. Well, can I do a little close and pray? Okay, all right. I know the kid thing. I know how that is as a pastor. (laughs) I love our workers and I want them to stay. (laughs) I never wanna mess with that, okay? (laughs) Okay. Um, that's the best part about having a pastor instead of an evangelist at a church, <laughs> right? The evangelist always push the border on that one. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, Jesus, keep our workers, let them stay. <laughs> I was like, oh. But I feel, I, is this okay? You got to teach tonight? I really feel like this is a, place that we're in in our lives and in our churches. Lord, make us a dwelling place. Let us be that tabernacle, the tent of David. Let us be that. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.